Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Shut up and sit down. Hey, you reached Coach Lundy with episode five of Fourth Down Focus. I have a great guest today in Coach David Walker, a coach that's coached at all levels of football, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. In his time doing so, he has really come to fall in love with, if you will, the thought of winning that third of the game that is often neglected, and that's fourth down, that's special teams. How you doing, Coach? Uh, I'm doing great. Great to be here. Uh, looking forward to uh, the next few uh, minutes together. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I want to get right into it. You know, I want to talk about several things. Uh, I, I want to start the show off by talking about your background and your coaching career a little bit. And then obviously where you are now, how you transitioned out of the game as a coach directly, but what you're doing on the back end to help the game progress to where it should go. So if you could briefly just touch on the start of your timeline, where you started, where you went and where you are now. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go back just a little bit further. I'm a, I'm a graduate of Syracuse University, uh, played ball there, uh, played for a coach named Paul Pasqualoni um, my, my junior and senior year. And so I'll preface that that way. Um, after I left Syracuse, I tried to play. I wasn't good enough uh, to have a professional career and then got into coaching. My first job was down uh, in Miami at Carroll City High School in 1994. And uh, we had a young man who was a sophomore in a program named Santana Moss that uh, ended up uh, blossoming and played at Miami and went on to have a nice career with the Washington Redskins. But uh, Santana was one of those kids that we had in the program uh, early on. After that 94 season, I had a chance to go back up to Syracuse. And initially, I was going to go up as a graduate assistant. And that particular season, five coaches had, had left the staff up at Syracuse. And uh, so Paul Pasqualoni, who I played for, actually hired me full time. So I I had a lot of on the job training in terms of being a coach. I knew the offense. I could get guys to go in the right direction, so to speak. But in terms of learning how to coach them, that was probably about a two two year process to get that really rolling. But was at Syracuse from uh, 95 to 2000 and uh, 2004. At the end of the 2004 season, uh, Paul, Coach Pasqualoni got got let go. Um, and so I took a job with uh, Dave Wanstead and the Pittsburgh Panthers. We were in Pittsburgh from 2005 to 2010. Um, after the 2010 season, um, we got let go at Pitt and then uh, briefly got hired by Randy Edsel, who was the head coach at the University of Maryland at the time. And I say briefly, uh, Randy probably hired me. Um, I don't know. He probably hired me on like January 3rd and uh I got a phone call from from Jim Caldwell on maybe January 17th or January 18th and uh, started working for the Indianapolis Colts maybe on February 6th or 7th. So I was at Maryland for about a month. Randy was great. 
um, in terms of allowing me to have an opportunity to have some conversations with Jim Caldwell, who was a coach with the Indianapolis Colts at that time. And, and things went well. And it, it had been at that point in my career, uh, a goal to see if I could get to the NFL. And uh, so it was in Indianapolis from 2011 to 2014. At the end of the 2014 season, I got released. Still had a year on my contract. So uh, the 2015 football season, I volunteered uh, at our local high school um, uh, in Indianapolis. I I worked at uh, Carmel High School uh, where my kids went to school and had an opportunity to coach coach my oldest son uh, the 2015 season. And then after that season, Jim Caldwell, who had left Indianapolis, went to Baltimore, then was up in Detroit. He hired me up in Detroit, um, and I worked up in Detroit uh, from 2016-17-18. At the end of the 2018 season, you know, I made the decision to to walk away from coaching uh, for a couple different reasons. But, uh, you know, some family issues had arose that I, I felt I needed to take care of a little bit more. And uh, so stepped away at the end of the 2018 season, uh, started working with uh, the uh, recruiting service called Tracking Football at, uh, you know, the beginning of 2019 and worked with those guys for about a year or so. And then uh, recently this, uh, this past spring, started my own company called Third and Three, which is a uh, consulting company. And uh, we actually coach high school and college coaches doing clinic presentations and, and helping guys grow within the profession. So that's kind of been my, my journey since I started this thing. And uh, like I said, I've, I've been at every level, I've coached at uh, two really, really good high school programs, coached at college programs in Syracuse and Pitt on the East Coast that when we were there, sent a lot of guys to, to the National Football League and then was fortunate to work in Indianapolis with the Colts and up in uh, Detroit with the Lions. Wow. That's a quite an extensive career. Um, when we met and we met not too long ago, I feel like I've known you for a bit, but it, it's really been less than a month. We we met each other and I think the kids need to hear this, the importance of social media. You know, um, that's where you found me and I found you indirectly. And that's where our initiation began. Found a way to get online here and there on Zoom and and get better and talk about what we're both passionate about, which is football. But I think that the audience needs to hear that. Could you elaborate a little bit about what your specialty is, in fact, in? You're not a specialist coach, but you have been around the game long enough to see the value. And we'll talk about that as the show progresses. But could you uh, kind of elaborate as to what it is that you feel that you um, have spent most of your time doing and getting better with in terms of football? Yep. So I've, I've been a career-long uh, running back coach and uh, was a running back in college and have always coached that position was was fortunate enough to you know I've I've been around some really good players and sometimes good players make you a better coach, um, but uh, to develop um, a lot of guys I think uh, through my stretch if you look at the top rushers in Syracuse University's football history I've probably coached half of them you know and then when you go and look at the University of Pittsburgh we had a stretch with uh, Lashawn McCoy who's still playing on Sundays Dion Lewis who's still playing on Sundays. Um, Henry Hanoski, who early in his uh, professional career won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. Um, we had a nice stretch there. I think we might have had two of the in a row, two um, Big East Offensive Player of the Years in LaShawn McCoy, then Deion Lewis back to back. And then in the in the in the professional game, I've been around some really good guys. Uh, you know, the guys that stand out to me for for different reasons: the Joe Adai's of the world in Indianapolis, the Donald Browns, the Theo Riddicks, uh, the Amir Abdullahs. You know, guys that have all, 
you know, had nice, nice careers and have done really well for themselves. So running back has been my, my specialty, but along with that comes, you know, parts of special teams that majority of running back coaches are on, whether it's you're, you're helping coach on the kickoff return unit or the when you're working with the return game and the returners that kick off or punt returners on a regular basis. And through my career, I've done all of that. So I've, I've got a, a really good appreciation for the, the special teams and the return phases of the special teams just based on the position I've, I've, I've worked with. Excellent. I've been, you know, around the game for about 20 years now, 25 as a player and a coach. And I've seen personally the perspective on special teams and how it is used to win games. I've seen it change and it's for the better. However, uh, I wanted your opinion because you've been doing it twice as long as me. But where have you seen it progress? Uh, where have you seen the Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll start with my most recent stops, and I'll I'll work backwards from there because I think I think um, when you're talking about on Sundays in the National Football League, everybody pays a high premium towards special teams. There's there's not a team in the league on Sundays that has a different view. You're going to get great specialists number one, which is which is something you don't always see in college and in, in high school. You're going to have great specialists. But also you're going to have detailed, detailed coaching. You're going to have detailed game plans. You're going to you're going to see things from a return game and from a punt block standpoint that um, that are going to challenge you, challenge your concepts. So there's not a huge, in my opinion, there's not a huge difference between what wins and loses games in the NFL on Sundays with special teams. Um, because everybody's putting a great deal of time and emphasis in those things. I think when you you start to step down to college and high school, to me, that's where I've really seen the differences of the importance placed on on those units. When I worked at Syracuse University, the special teams phase was equal to the offense and defense phase. Now, everybody will say that and preach that, but their actions don't always show that based on the personnel that's used on those teams. And then I've seen where the emphasis on, 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 on special teams from a philosophy standpoint and the personnel that's used is not quite the same. And, and both are, both philosophies are good. But like I said, when, when I was at Syracuse university as a player and then under coach Pascaloni, when, when I coached with him, our starters on offensive defense were our starters on special teams if they were the best person for that job. So special teams wasn't, hey, we're going to let this redshirt freshman kind of kind of get acclimated to college football and we're going to put him as an R4 on kickoff and let him run down the field. Now, if he was the best player, certainly. If he was not the best player, then his butt was on the sideline. So the special teams there was the best players playing. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of what I mean. In 1997, the 1997 football season, we had a, a safety named Donovan Darius, who ended up being a first-round draft pick with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Donovan was the defensive player of the year in the Big East Conference, and the Big East Conference back then was 
you know, Miami and Syracuse and Pitt and uh, Virginia Tech and, and those teams, it's a little bit different in how the conferences are broke up now. But, but Donovan was the best defensive player in the conference, was a first-round draft pick as a safety, and he was also the long snapper and would run down on punts. And we probably had the best net punt team in college football with him running down the middle of the field. And we had a guy named Jimmy Turner and another guy to Bucky Jones running down as the gunners and teams had to fair catch the ball or our, our center made every, you know, our snapper made every tackle. So I've been on that in that same mode. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one too. We had a kid named Jimmy Turner, who at that time was our second receiver. So he's a starting wide receiver. Jimmy was our kickoff returner. And then Jimmy was our L or R5 on kickoff coverage. So once again, starting wide receiver, kickoff returner, and he played the middle of the kickoff coverage because he was big, fast, and tough, and he would run down and beat the front line and go force the ball. And I remember him, and you think back on certain things, I really remember how good and how our special teams was. We're playing a game. I think it was versus the University of Pittsburgh, but I could be off, but I'm pretty sure it's versus the University of Pittsburgh. He gets a kickoff return for a touchdown. He runs, he runs the ball back, touchdown, we score. We kick the extra point. He then goes out and lines up as the five on kickoff coverage and runs down and makes the tackle. And it's like, holy cow, you know, this guy just ran a kickoff return back for a touchdown, gets a sip of water, comes back on the field, then he goes down and covers the kick and makes the tackle. And that's, that kind of symbolizes what special teams meant at that period of time. And, and uh, you know, we were talking off air that was the same time with Virginia Tech and, and Frank Beamer and Beamer Ball and where, where they were so, so good. Them and Florida State back in the mid to late 90s were, were dynamic at, at, at blocking kicks. And, and, and I think a lot of our philosophy at Syracuse was to match what they were doing at Virginia Tech. And to beat that, those teams, you had to have your best players on. So I think Frank Beamer and Virginia Tech back at that time, if you played against them, you had to find a way to up your special teams. And at that point, Syracuse was one of those schools that would have their very best players on special teams. And uh, and then as you look at other teams, when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, we, we worked at special teams, but we didn't work at it where our best personnel were, were those guys that played those spots. You know, that was more for young guys get kind of indoctrinated into college football um, other than the returners. Uh, for that point, you know, Darrell Revis, for example, was the punt returner and, uh, you know, obviously an outstanding corner, but he, he did that. But from the other coverage positions and blockers, it was just kind of, you know, put some guys out there and let them play. So two, two storied programs, but two different philosophies as it pertained to the, the special teams units in college. And then in high school, I just don't think from, from my experiences that people understand uh, not that they don't understand it enough, but don't work on all the little things that go into special teams. And, and it, a lot of it is time. You got a little bit more time with the college and the pro to really work on all the little details and all the, the nuances and, and, and be prepared for a lot of the things that could happen to you where, where my experience with the high school is we, you know, we did the, the, the basics, let's call it. We were, were basic special teams unit, not necessarily a, an expert special teams unit. 
Well, a large population of our show, our audience, if you will, is high school coaches, high school players who obviously have aspirations to transition to the next level, whether it be Division One, Division Three, whatever. They want to keep playing. They don't want to stop their senior in high school. They love the sport. They love the game. And I think a disconnect here in transitioning ultimately to uh, to Sunday play, to the NFL, is as you progress as an athlete, football player in particular, I think that to be impactful, especially from the get, is to walk on to a Syracuse University or, or University of Miami and having that background knowledge that, yeah, I've, I've blocked a punt or I've gone after an extra point or I played the R5 or the L1 on kickoff. Um, I've done these things. I have some pre-existing knowledge to where I'm a little more moldable. Um, I'm a more coachable athlete because I've done it before. I may not have done it particularly well because I wasn't coached up in all the intricacies of these things. But do you not agree that these impactful players at the high school level should, in fact, have that special teams experience, regardless of whether or not their coach is very good at coaching the scheme? Yeah, I, once again, I, from from my vantage point, I think, the more things you can do on a field, the more valuable you become. And as you go up another level, all those things are important unless you happen to be the, you know, the superstar or the starter on an NFL team. There's not, there's not a lot of those when you really break down the numbers. So for a high school kid trying to impress uh, colleges to show he has additional value, let's call it, I think, you know, if I'm watching a film and I see a good running back, but then I also see him run down and cover kicks or I also see him on the punt protection unit blocking people, then then that says to me he may be able to do these things for us at the next level so I have more value with him. It's the same thing when you're you're talking to guys leading up to the NFL draft and you, you have these interviews at the Combine. The one thing I always want to know is, did you participate in special teams? Because there's a good chance unless you're the starter, the starting running back, you're probably going to have to make your money on special teams or you're going to make the team on special teams. So those things were always important for me. And I know for, for players as they try to get to the next level, whatever that next step is, high school to college or college to the pros, the more value you have as a player, the better chances you're going to get to stick at that next level. That's what I wanted to hear. And I think that should be heard from everyone listening to the show that, I think versatility, if we could put this short and simple, is um, a versatile athlete is is marketable, right? Uh, and I think that you have to be more and more versatile and able to do more things if you want to continue to be sought after as it trickles down to the very few who get to play at the highest of levels. I'm going to transition you to a little more fun discussion. You've been around, uh, in my opinion, some goats, right? We, we call we call we call these gentlemen the goats. These are the kids that, uh, even though the two I'm going to mention right now are no longer playing on Sundays, they are 14 year old kickers who never got to see these guys kick and punt live, but they're still discussed often uh, because they were so effective. But I wanted to ask your opinion on although these two humans are goats, they are entirely different individuals as far as personality. Um, I wanted you to elaborate about Adam Vinatieri and Pat McAfee, household names in the specialist world, uh, and your time spent around them in Indianapolis at the Colts. I want you to talk about, although they were different, talk about some some common things that these two individuals did to prepare to be goats eventually. Okay. And what I want to do too, I, I, I will definitely get to that point, but but I want to I want to give some context to what I'll, what I'll say about them. So in 2011, 
I get hired by the Indianapolis Colts. And so I'm around in that building. You have Peyton Manning, who is still there, has his neck injury at that time. So is not participating in practices, not playing in preseason games, but is there in his presence is obviously, you know, amongst the, the building and as and and probably the greatest leader I've ever been around and seen to watch him operate and work on a daily basis. Okay. So I want to say you have Peyton Manning, who you learn to, to respect and understand why he is who he is. Then we have Reggie Wayne, who is another, you know, you wouldn't necessarily put him in the goat family of greatest of all time at his position, but a great, great leader, a great worker, a veteran, um, who had the respect of everybody in that building and probably everybody's respect in the National Football League, and you had Dwight Freeney. So I, I, I need to preface those three guys, Peyton, Reggie, and Dwight, and then you have Adam Benatieri. So those four guys, in my opinion, for different reasons, you know, I would almost – have to pinch myself at times walking out on the practice field like are, like seriously are you out here and you're about to go do ball handling with Peyton or you know you're able to watch Adam's pre-game preparation as he does his deal or is, is his pre-practice preparation and this and that with Reggie and what so it was just a, a a very very enlightening time to be a first-time NFL coach and to be around some goats so to speak and to watch them work and do their craft and so I, I felt I needed to preface that when I start to talk about Adam Benatieri and his professionalism, his ability to not only relate to the specialists and the special teams player, but to everybody on that team. You know, one of the hardest workers for his position, you know, you watch his his routine and, you you know, you get a chance to talk to some guys after a while about what they do and how they do it and, and, and how consistent they've been and to get inside their mind a little bit. Just just so impressed with with his ability to stay focused on the task at hand, to only be in the moment and not have things that had happened previously, whether it's in that practice day or in his career affect what he was about to do at that moment. I just, I just, I just had a chance to learn so much just by observing guys like him and how he was in the locker room and how he was on game day. And, you know, you know, I don't know how many game winning Super Bowl kicks or playoff kicks the guys had and, but he had a ton for us. And like I said, I think the makeup of the man and uh, how he went about his business related to how he played on Sunday afternoons. And then you got a guy like Pat McAfee, who was a little bit younger, uh, cannon for a leg. You know, he he did the punting and he did the kickoff, uh, the kickoffs. And Adam was just a place kicker. But but Mac was I mean, he was the you know, you 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 felt his presence just like when you watch ESPN now and he's on game day and he's jumping into a river at Baylor or he's doing this, that and the other. That's how Pat was. He He's just a, a little bit uh, a little bit loose, so to speak but uh, was was equally as effective. And having those two guys, almost like Adam is, is the grandfather and Pat as the, uh, the stepson, so to speak, you know, along with Justin Snow as the snapper, was just an interesting dynamic to be around. And, uh, you know, in their own ways, they, they were successful. 
but uh, they kind of they kind of got to the end point totally different. Absolutely. My interaction with Pat McAfee was at an early age. He came to my kicking camp at the Orange Bowl. This was his senior year in high school. He was out of Plum, Pennsylvania. A lot of people don't know the story, but he went to a casino and found his way in underage, won some money, booked a flight, didn't tell his parents, uh, booked our kicking camp online, took a, a flight down to the Orange Bowl, and I got to meet him that day. And it's still to this day, I can't forget his performance. He hit a 70-yard field goal in the Orange Bowl in front of a, a number of people because at the time, college coaches could, in fact, be at those camps no longer. But you know, he earned his scholarship that day. West Virginia offered him on the spot. By the time he flew home, he was talking to his parents about, first of all, where he'd been, you know, because he really wasn't supposed to be there. But, you know, it worked out. And um, but I, what my point is, uh, I think that what people need to realize about people like Pat McAfee and there's several personalities in the NFL that they, they seem lighthearted and they're having fun out there. But people don't see him six days out of the week. And what I remember about Pat specifically was he was the first person to elect to take a rep. You know, there was a couple hundred kids there that day and he was always the first and every transition to a new thing we were going to evaluate them on. He wanted to go first because he was prepared. That's what screamed prepared to me is this kid thought about this situation prior to right now, because a lot of these kids are thinking about the situation for the first time right now. And those are the kids that are going to go second and third. And I think that's important to a coach or someone evaluating talent is, is it resonates to them that this person is in fact prepared and, and they believe in themselves. So I think that, you know, Pat, uh, he, he's looked at sometimes um, as a funny guy, but I, I think there's two sides to people like him because people like him don't experience success like that unless there's a time to grind. And I think he finds time to do both. Uh, I, I just, I think it's neat that you got to see two guys that are, that are some legends and that have done so much for the specialist community because both those guys are in fact a catalyst, right? They, they really were the final straw to say that we are here and we're here to stay. And I think that everyone embraces us because we're difference makers. I wanted to transition to your third and three. I think most people are well aware of what you've done and the teams you've been on and your experience there. But I think really important to touch on what you're doing now and what in fact third and three is I'm about to experience third and three for the first time next uh, Wednesday night with you in a round table. And I'm really excited about that. But basically I want you to tell me and the audience a little bit about what third and three is, what it means to you, what your intentions are in using it and where it's going. Well, third and three started off. I'll kind of give you, and it's only, it's only been, you know, we're four months or so in the making but it started off really simply as me being on a, a Zoom call with some of my buddies who coach high school football and just kind of talking through some things one evening. And uh, my son jumped in the room. I was in the office. He kind of walked in because he was home from school. And, you know, when I got off the call, he says, I think you got something there. I said, what do you mean? He says, I think you got a, you got a business there. You know, you're, you're spending these time with these coaches and you're helping them grow. And I think there's something there. I was like, whatever, you know what I mean? And then to make a long story short that, you know, whatever turned into where we are today, which is, you know, third and three is what I like to call the most comprehensive online learning platform for high school and college coaches. We bring coaches from across the country together to mentor and for fellowship. And the way we do that is we put on weekly clinics and those clinics range from X's and O's philosophy, scheme, 
things like, uh, you know, grading your players and, and player evaluations and after action reports to studying plays and schemes. It started off really offensive centric um, with my background. And now with my network of coaches, we basically cover every position and depth, whether it's the running back position that, that obviously is my expertise to having uh, different lectures and, and a quarterback school where we can get quarterback coaches together. And some of the things that we really did that uh, took it to a, to a different level is not just having a particular clinic on a subject and talk about that particular subject, but the thing that I think really made us different is, is getting opposing views from coaches on each side of the ball. So, for example, as opposed to me doing a, a talk on, um, let's say, the power play from a running back perspective, it's not just running back coaches on that call, but then we get linebacker coaches on the call. And then we can listen to linebacker coaches talk about defending certain things or some of the keys they, they see. So what it ends up doing, it ends up being an environment where coaches can grow and learn not only from their peers at their position, but their peers their or their counterparts, let's call it, on the other side of the ball. So we like to pair wide receiver coaches with defensive back coaches, O-line and D-line, running back coaches and or tight end coaches with linebacker coaches and have those type of discussions that are slightly different from a normal clinic format. And then the one thing that uh, I'd like to let people understand is just the interaction and, and everything becomes a discussion. It's not just one guy talking about this is how we do it and that's it and you just listen to them and you don't have a chance to to share your thoughts or, or interact. So our roundtables have, have become a little bit popular. Um, obviously, with, with everybody starting to play football again, it's it's been a little bit challenging here this season, you know, just because of you have some guys that are in season, some guys that aren't in season. In the spring, you'll have some schools that'll be in season and some aren't. So this this calendar year is a little bit different. But I believe third and three is a sustainable business that really is allowing coaches to grow because they get expert coaching. Uh, last night, we had a defensive back session and uh, we had the defensive back coach from San Jose State, Eric Williams, talk about press coverage and why you press and went through his techniques and stuff. And so for, for a high school coach, that team works on those techniques and to be able to hear it and see it and feel it and learn something, I think that helps guys grow and, and it benefits everybody. And, and like I said, every week we will do different style of presentations and we, we, we have the special teams and specialists involved as well. So uh, anybody, any coach can find some value with the talks and discussions that we provide on third and three. And, and then there's some also some professional development things that we do as well. Um, we, we had a, a well-attended seminar talking about recruiting during COVID for uh, college personnel uh, people about uh, it was about two months ago and we're going to do uh, in November we're going to have uh, another professional development series called Ascending in the Profession from a personnel and a, and a coaching standpoint and we're going to put together some nice panels and talk about the way you ascend in the profession whether you're on the personnel side of things or whether you're on the coach side of things so I'm excited about those things coming down the pike here uh, next month. I want to touch on the last thing you just said um, recruiting so in my opinion, uh, high school coaches are inundated with responsibility from discipline to grades to uh, other campus responsibilities that they all have to practice, to transportation issues on Friday nights, to budget. 
That's a, that's a major concern at most of these high schools. Uh, they, they never have enough resources or support. So with that being said, um, all those added responsibilities currently that are going on, a supplementary responsibility that I, that I feel is probably most important that these coaches are deficient in is the promotion of their athletes to the appropriate places. Okay. I, I feel like it's very cookie cutter, if you will, in terms of they all have a huddle profile. They all send it out to a mass quantity of people, almost none of which get received because, again, it's got to be a personal connection, in my opinion. It's got to be a referral from a head coach to a college coach who already has a relationship. Could you give me a little bit of your insight as to effective ways for a kid that, let's say he's not a five-star, let's say he's not a major Division One prospect, but let's say he could most definitely play in the FCS level, okay? And he's a good student. He's doing all the right things. But the disconnect here is how do I get seen? How do I get exposure? How do I not only use my high school coach, but maybe independently promote myself? Could you give me some thoughts as to a, a new way of thinking, perhaps? Yeah, I think from a from a kid in recruiting in general, I think it's a combination of the player and the coach. It's not just the coach doing everything. I don't think it's just the player doing everything. I think there's got to be a combination of both trying to get their their either film seen or their name out or what have you. So that, that's number one, because when, when colleges come into a school, as a college recruiter and you go into a school, you may know the one or two guys you really want to know about. But in most schools, there's going to be a couple other guys maybe you should know about. And if, if you're one of those high school kids where the coach thinks this college should know about you, I think there has to be conversation at the appropriate time, always during the season may not be the appropriate time, but there has to be conversation with a player to his coach in terms of what level do you think I can play at? What, what schools have come in? Is there anybody that's asked about me? Um, who can I follow up with? Okay. So two schools were in and two schools asked about me. Well, I'm going to then follow up with that um, with some information as well. But, but I think every time, that's the initial look that a college is going to have on a student athlete is going to be, let me see what they look like from their supposed highlights. And then if there's enough there, then I'll dig further. I think how you put together your huddle tape, it's huge in all honesty. As being a college recruiter, time is a factor <laughs> and you always don't have a lot of time. So if I was looking at a kid's highlight tape, I'd want to see if it took like three or four minutes before I really saw something got, that got me excited. I may want to move on from that kid. But early on, if I saw some really, really good plays, it would intrigue me to continue to watch. So I really believe with Huddle and the way you can work that system is put your best stuff, your best highlights first. I wouldn't do it by game in the season. Oh, this was our first game, so I put these highlights, or this was my second game. I would put your very best highlights first because that's going to draw the attention and hopefully keep the attention of the person that's watching your film. So that's the number one thing I would do. I would be extremely persistent as it pertains to sending out emails. Eventually, you would learn, hopefully, who's the recruiter in your area. Or if you don't and you get online and you see just the director of recruiting or those people, if you're interested in a school, I would send emails, send your highlight clips, send your transcript, be proactive in the recruiting process if you're a guy that's maybe, let's call it under the radar, so to speak. 
Um, and then, like I said, I think it's important that you have conversations with your coach to try to have a realistic ideal of where colleges may see you. You may see yourself and your parents may see you in a different light than the colleges see you. And sometimes people have a, they get a, a, a bad perspective on, oh, you know, this kid's getting recruited. I'm better than him in my mind. I should be getting recruited by that school. Well, that's not always how things work. So I think if you have a, a, a real good understanding of maybe what the level is you can play at, your coach kind of gives you the same feedback. When you put your, your film together, put your best stuff first, in my opinion, um, and then be persistent in trying to recruit schools that you have interest in as well. Don't, don't let them just be doing the recruiting. I would be pushing my stuff to them as well. So those, those would be a few just ideals I would have for the, for the players that are listening to this, to this podcast. I think those are all valuable. I agree wholeheartedly. I think that, you know, uh, every week you should consolidate that you might kick off a few of the week one highlights because week two took over. You should have a mid season highlight. You should have an end of season highlight. If a coach wants to see a particular game, you should have the games highlight saved. You know, you, you can create multiple playlists, right? And I think that you should have those readily available because like you mentioned, if, if you get a text or a, a DM on Twitter and you want to see his Carroll city game from last week, just send me the, send me the highlights from that particular game. Cause you know that, he played some dogs that night. I want to say how he played ball all four quarters against a, a legitimate program. So I think there's value in having a game, a highlight of game one. I think there's equal, if not more value to having like a weeks one through three consolidated your best stuff in the first 30 seconds type stuff. But you're right, coach. I think that there's not a lack of respect, but it's just an ignorance to the, to the fact that you are limited in time. You know, especially as a, as a college football coach, you are limited in time because one small part of your day, if at all, is going to be to jump on your computer and look at a few of the prospects that you want to see from the previous week. I'll add this too that that uh, I, I think could be helpful for a young man, and and this is really position specific. It's not necessarily geared toward just just a, a specialist, but position specific. One of the things that uh, could be helpful as well, because it almost, I don't want to say it fools your eye, but let's let's say you had a pretty good sophomore year, pretty good junior year, and a pretty good senior year. And through all those years, you have some pretty good plays. I've seen kids that have put together like a high school highlight tape. And so now maybe you have, you had 15 really good plays your senior year, and you had those on highlight, but all of a sudden you had 15 really good highlights as a senior and you had another 12 as a junior and maybe four or five as a sophomore. Well, you put all those plays together on a tape and someone watches it and now they're seeing 30 really good plays of you. That may give them a different picture of you. So that that's one thing I've seen too, that I thought was really good is a culmination kind of tape and have that almost be your feature tape. Because think about a pro player whose, whose career spans several years and uh, we could use any pro player, but, you know, this year, one of these pro players could be playing really well. Aaron Donald. Let's just use Aaron Donald. I'm going to use Aaron Donald. Okay. Obviously, this year he's playing at a high level. But guess what? Last year he played at a high level and the year before, and there's probably several highlights from two years ago and several highlights from last year that you would say, oh, my God, that was a signature play. I remember that play, and he did this, that, and the other. Well, from your high school career, put all those things together. And it just makes your highlights. So that's that's another little tip, I think, 
you know, is you could you could put together a sophomore, junior, and senior kind of package together that uh, would look better than any one of those single years. That's a great point. You know, I, I don't think I do that with my athletes. I do like annual at most. And I go from there. I, you know, I go like quarterly, you know, weeks one through four and maybe cut up weeks one and give me three or four of the best moments. And that way you can put something like that together. Right. I think it's organization. I think it's planning like anything else. It's not just going to be slapped together. It's going to take time. It's tedious, but yeah, the key is to spend enough time to where it's effective, right. To where when you sit down, the first 20 seconds will in fact generate some interest from you and it'll make you want to see a little bit more and you might even give them some direction hey you know i i looked at this link do you have like a half season like a collective highlight and then it gives him some direction but i think the interest has to be initiated through the first 20 seconds of something right yeah i I, and and the and the read i'm just using you know i'm just sharing some of my experiences you know i've we've had kids um when i was coaching at at the university of pittsburgh that, you know, that weren't happy and, uh, you know, were, were wanted to, to transfer out. And so I remember one kid coming to me and saying, coach, I need to put together, you know, can you help me put together these highlights so I can send them to these other FCS schools? Because, you know, I was like, oh, no problem. And so he starts to go through, we're sitting in the office and he wants to go through these games where at the end of the game, he would, he would got in and had a few carries. And I'm like, we're not starting there. I said, we're going back to these scrimmages and practice. Cause I said, I've seen you make a ton of plays. And so we started to put together his film and it was like scrimmage stuff and different things where he had great runs that never showed up on a Saturday afternoon because he was sitting behind some guys, but he had shown in practice. So like I said, we went and put together and I found all his best practice runs that I could remember. I said, Oh my God. Oh, I remember that one. Oh, remember this play versus here. And we put those things on and then, and then we interspersed some of the, the game film. And that's what we ended up, you know, sharing with, with other colleges, because to me, it's, they just want to see you, they just want to see the skill set. It doesn't matter if it shows up in practice or a game, but all of a sudden you, Darrell Revis, when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, he's one guy that comes to mind. And let me see if I can think of another one that first so I can make this example. Okay, perfect. Got two of them. Okay, so Darrell Revis and Donovan McNabb. Those guys would do things in practice that you had never seen before. And it was like, holy cow, did you just see that? And it didn't show up on a Saturday game day. And, and and that's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. There's moments that happen on the practice fields all the time that you just scratch your head like, did you just see that? And so I just wanted to make sure I shared with that that player at that particular time, whether that play happened on Thursday in practice or if that was Saturday in the game, that's like a, a great, great thing that just happened there. Make sure you highlight that as you're trying to show your ability off to, to someone else. And that's a great point because 20 years ago, I would have countered that thinking. But now every high school films, almost everything in a team setting, they film inner squad scrimmages. Sometimes they even film like an inside drill, you know, and you could do something incredibly well in limited space, you know, split second decision-making that would probably jump off the screen to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's invaluable. I, I think that's a great point coach. And I don't know if Chris Ripon, when he was on shared his Alindo Mari kicking in a, kicking in a park, yes. not even on a football field, you know, being discovered. So there, there's a lot of different ways to show off your ability. Um, you know, some guys I've seen guys, that do these seven on sevens 
and put some of that stuff on their highlight tapes. And there was a, a big defensive end one year who who was a was a defensive end. I mean, that's what you were going to recruit this kid at. But he puts a few of his seven on seven highlight clips of him running routes and catching the ball on the tape, and it's like, holy cow! Look at this big joker. You know, we thought he was you know a run stuffing defensive end, but he's out there playing tight end on a seven on seven team, running corner routes, this that, and the other, catching the ball. So you just you can just get a different opinion seeing different things. Uh, you know, working with the guys from tracking football last year, which is a recruiting service, we would see kids. Like there was this one kid, I won't forget his name, kid named Johnny Mitchell down in Louisiana, who was an underrated kid, an interior lineman. So he played center and guard, and he also played defensive tackle. He played both ways for his, for his high school team. And he's a, you know, 6'3-ish, 260-pound-ish athlete. The first highlight on his highlight tape is him high jumping. So to see a 260-pound kid go and high jump in a, in a meet. And it's like, holy cow. And then you put the film on and then it's, and then it's him, you know, kind of, I won't say mauling people, but getting after people pretty good. So I was like, man, if I'm a college recruiter and I'm looking at this kid and I just see this athleticism in this kid in terms of whether he's playing basketball or he's, he's doing some type of track stuff. And, and then you see good football. So anything that's good that highlights who you are, I think you put that stuff on a tape because as an evaluator, the more things that you can see from a positive attribute, the more you're going to like a kid. I think that might've been the most impactful thing you said in terms of recruiting is uh, it's important to be unique, be an outlier because those people are remembered. Those are, those are people you don't forget about. Yeah. Well, coach, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I wanted to take a second and have you share with the audience ways they can reach you. Our website uh, for Third and Three is just like you said, thirdandthree.com, and that will have uh, all of our information in terms of our clinics, when they are, what they are. Um, we have several training videos um, as well, um, where if you don't make a clinic session, you can also get that information from the training videos. And then on Twitter, we're at Third and Three Football. At Facebook, it's Third and Three Football. And on Instagram, uh, it's at third and three football. So those would be the social handles, you know, and then really you can get a hold of me via email at dlwalk33 at gmail.com would be the, the easiest way as well. Thank you so much, coach. Well, that was episode five of Fourth Down Focus. Uh, just reminding the audience that if you want to get a hold of us, uh, fourthdownu.com is our website. You can go ahead and email us there with show topics or guest suggestions. I'd be more than happy to check you out. If you want to find me on social media, I'm at 4-T-H-D-O-W-N-U. That's 4th Down U. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, probably somewhere else, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> just want to thank you guys for your time and uh, have a great day. I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Take care. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.